Welcome to the media ministry of Crossroads Church Aspen. To learn more about Crossroads, visit our website at ccaspen.com. We hope you enjoyed this message by Pastor Steve Woodrow. How's everybody doing? Everybody good? Good summer so far? Lala, good to see you. Man, wonderful. Well, good. Well, I hope you're here um, hungry. Hope you're hungry for the word and um, the fellowship and the worship and just gathering together as God's people with expectation, right? That God promises he'll meet us in this place. He'll speak to us. He'll minister to us. Each of us, he knows, right? What's going on inside our soul. He knows what has us, what we need. And and uh, he's here to speak to us. The question is for us, is are we vessels here ready to be, uh, to hear from him, right? And to also be used by him in ministry, all right, to bless others, right? So church is not mainly what just happens on the stage. It's all what happens right here, right, amongst each other. And so we just need to remember that. And, and uh, you know, we're in Matthew 24, and Jesus' great plea to Jerusalem was how he longed to gather them together, but uh, but he said that the, the people refused. And we see the Old Testament, you know, story after story, of the people of God just refusing to gather, refusing to be in the presence of God for whatever reason. And, and uh, boy, I think we're in a season, right, where we, we need to uh, regather, right, as such, in, in all different levels of what that, what that means. And to restore, really recover the incredible blessing of what church is and what it is to be in fellowship, whether it's a small church, house church, or a big church but just the, the blessing of that. And uh, so thanks for being here and uh, being a part of this. If you're visiting with us, let me just encourage you. Uh, we just started this series a couple weeks ago, um, Are We Ready? And we've been looking at Matthew 24, and then we'll be moving into the first part of Revelation um, in this series uh, as we dive in on what Jesus has to say about the end times. And he gives a long message. Actually, Jesus speaks more about this than we would ever really realize, I think. And this is stuff I'm going to read 24, uh, chapter 24 for us this morning. And, and uh, I think, uh, boy, you, we were going to read this. And it's just, it's stuff that's really foreign to so much of the American church. And that's kind of what we want to talk about a little bit this morning. Before we dive in, though, let me just um, encourage you, if you are new here, you have questions about Crossroads, a little card in the seat back in front, we'd love to pray um, for you, with you, and, uh, and answer any questions you have about the church. Also, if you know Jesus, um, Jesus' great commission is to um, be discipled and to make disciples. It's very clear. We need to restore that in the church today. And so if you have questions about that, we just want to invite you into that process. We'd love to uh, walk alongside you, um, how to be a part of that great commission, what that means to be discipled and to make disciples. Also, if you just need a first step in, kind of, you still have questions and what this thing following Jesus is all about. We have lots of different community groups, different avenues to step into, and uh, we'd love to get you connected. So just let us know. Um, we are here all week long, so we'd love to hear from you and get a coffee. Um, all right, Matthew 24. Um, let me, I'm going to read this whole thing, so I'm just going to prep us because this is a long chapter. This is not what we've been conditioned for as a people. We're used to short little, you know, little screenshots and everything. We're not used to sitting and listening to uh, the, the something read, right, especially um, as those who uh, received the word originally, the early church were in that culture. But it's something we need to recover to some extent. Well, also the importance of this is to make no question about it is this morning that our authority is the word of God. It's not my word. It's not my jokes. It's not my illustrations. It's the word of God. This is our authority. And uh, this is what we need to lift up and... Um, and hold up, and my jokes are bad anyway, so um, it works out well. <clears throat> so, Father, thank you for this morning, and Lord, for your word, and uh, Lord, we love you. Uh, Father, you, gosh, your promises are um, amazing, Lord. Uh, and Father, I just pray we'd be a people, Lord, with hearts who hunger again, Lord, thirst for your word. And uh, Lord, that we would have hearts ready just to receive your word um, deeply in us this morning. So come, speak to us, encourage us, convict us, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. All right, um, a little background before we dive in. And also, I, I don't want to, I don't know if they're still here or not, but um, 
Uh, just to let everybody know, the Niebers, Joanne and Dwayne um, Niebuhr, are back with us this week, and uh, we celebrate that. They've been serving in Southeast Asia. Um, Dwayne was my doctor and many of your doctors when he was here, and Joanne obviously is a nurse, and they've been serving in some really tough places, doing some amazing work. And uh, boy, I would just encourage you, they're going to be here for a little, for a couple weeks, I think. And uh, you can call us how to get connected if you want to hear about what their ministry and what they're doing. And uh, it's, it's really been pretty amazing before they move into the next season. So just want to let you know about that. Um, all right, Matthew 24, the word of God. Here we go. And follow along, as I said last week, I just encourage everybody, not this isn't out of legalism, but just getting back to bringing the word of God with us to church, having open, engaging in it, um, not the digital stuff, and for all the reasons that we know, we need to move out of distraction, right? All right, Jesus left the temple, and he was going away when his disciples came to point out to him the buildings of the temple. But he answered them, he said, you see all these, do you not? Truly I say to you, there will not be left here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. And as he sat on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately saying, tell us, when will these things be? And, when will, and, and what will be the sign of the coming of the end of the age? And Jesus answered them, see that no one leads you astray, for many will come in my name, saying, I'm the Christ. And they will lead many astray. And you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not alarmed, for this must take place. But the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom, and there will be famines and earthquakes in various places. All these are but the beginning of the birth pains. Then they will deliver you, the church, up to tribulation and put you to death. And you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. And then many will fall away and betray one another and hate one another. And many false prophets will arise and lead many astray. And because of lawlessness will increase, the love of many will grow cold. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations. And then the end will come. So when you see the abomination of desolation spoken about by the prophet Daniel standing in the holy place, let the reader understand. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let the one who is on the housetop not go down, take what is in his house. And let the one who is in the field not turn back to take his cloak. And alas, for women who are pregnant, for those who are nursing infants in those days, pray that your flight may not be in winter or on a Sabbath. For then there will be great tribulation. Such as has not been from the beginning of the world until now. No, and never will be. And if those days had not been cut short, no human being would be saved. But for the sake of the elect, those days will be cut short. Then if anyone says to you, look, here's the Christ, or there he is, do not believe him. For false Christs and false prophets will arise and perform great signs and wonders so as to lead astray, if possible, even the elect. See, I've told you beforehand, so if they say to you, look, he's in the wilderness, do not go out. If they say, look, he's in the inner rooms, do not believe it. For as the uh, lightning comes from the east, shines as far as the west, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. Um, wherever the corpse is, there the vultures will gather. Immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be dark and the moon will not give its light. And the stars will fall from heaven and the powers of heavens will be shaken. Then will appear in the heaven the sign of the Son of Man. And then all the tribes of the earth will mourn and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And he will send out his angels with a loud trumpet call and they will gather his elect from the four winds from one end of the earth to the other. From the fig tree, learn his lesson. As soon as this branch becomes tender and puts out its leaves, you know that summer is near. So also when you see all these things, you know that he is near at the very gates. Truly I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all these things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. But concerning that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, nor the Son, but the Father only. For as were the days of Noah, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. For as in those days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until the day when Noah entered the ark. And they were unaware until the flood came and swept them all away. So will be the coming of the Son of Man. 
then two will be in the field, two men, and one will be taken, one will be left. Two women will be grinding at the mill, one will be taken, one will be left. Therefore, stay awake, for you do not know on what day your Lord is coming. But know this, that if the master of the house had known in what part of the night the thief was coming, he would have stayed awake and would not have let his house be broken into. Therefore, you also must be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. Who then is the faithful and wise servant whom the master has set over his household to give them his food at the proper time, to give them their food at the proper time? Blessed is that servant whose master will find so doing when he comes. Truly, I say to you, he will, be set, o- will set him over all his possessions. But if that wicked servant says to himself, my master's delayed and begins to beat his fellow servants and eats and drinks with drunkards, the master of that house, the master of that servant, will come on a day when he does not expect him and in an hour he does not know and will cut him to pieces and put him with the hypocrites. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. The word of the Lord. Praise be to God. Thank you. Yeah. Man. How's that set with you? <laughs> There's a lot there, huh? Is that the kind of stuff that we've been upholding to the church over the last decades in America? Is that, every one of those is Jesus' words. See, I've told you beforehand, our Lord says. Every bit of this has radical implications for right, how, we, how we do church, how we witness, how we live, how everything, Right? Around this question of, are we ready? He says, he's coming at hour, we don't know. And so, again, as I said last week, if you're into all the date setting or all these fine structures of eschatology and prophecy, just kind of set them aside. Let the word of God speak and let's respond to the things that God has called us to, right? Um, that we need to, to hone in on. And, and really around this, this question of, are we ready, right? And, um, and so I just throw that out in the sense of just that scripture, reading that amount of the word of God. And that's just the tip of the iceberg. I, I just want to lay out to you just across the church in America, just as we evaluate where we've come from and where we need to go, is how little of the word of God, truly, right, that we have upheld, right, over, over the years. We've honed in, right, on, on really, and this goes for the gospel itself, on one aspect of the gospel, Right? And we, we've, we've given, we've allowed ourselves to go into, for lack of terminology, a soft sell. And uh, thinking that somehow that's going to lead people, make Jesus more attractive or lead people right, to him somehow on a greater level. And we've never seen that the case. And, and that would be worrying about what people think more than about what God thinks. Right? And that's what has to be restored too in the church. And, and we have to evaluate in our own right, individual lives. Um, if he's our Lord, then these words we should hunger for, we should hold on to them, we should, and that's all of his words. And especially around this idea of, man, are we ready? Are we ready? And so um, if you missed last week, what I'm doing is just taking three weeks to kind of summarize this chapter and uh, kind of look at more what it means for us. Practically speaking, what, what, what do we need to do? How do we get ready? How do we stay awake? in his admonition to us. And uh, three things we've looked at. Um, the answer to that I've kind of put into three categories. First is we start with embrace truth. And once we embrace truth, that leads us to now we are able to face reality. And once we're facing reality, embracing the truth, and Jesus obviously is ultimate truth, he is the way, the truth, the life, now we're ready to walk by faith. All three of those go together. And uh, they are, they're all right uh, intimately um, connected. Last week we talked about this, the idea of embracing truth. And uh, we talked about obviously as a nation, as a culture, we've rejected truth. This has been indoctrinated in our scholastic systems for decades now. And now we're reaping the consequence of that which we've lost touch with reality. Right? In, in many different levels, uh, what that looks like. I'll, I'll speak a little bit more about that. But last week we kind of talked a little bit about um, you know, the, the details of in our culture, how we just have no ability. We're getting more insecure and more confused mentally and everything else to be able to kind of hold handles of what is real, what is not, what is true, what is not. And, and if I can't answer what is true, I surely can't answer what is real. 
right? These intimately, right, go together. And then we start calling things that are not reality, reality. And uh, man, it, it, it's sending us right into uh, a tough, tough, confusing time, right, for many. But the good news for that is what an opportunity, right, for the church to stand up and embrace these things, right, again, <clears throat> And to uh, recover. And remember, God's word says judgment begins with the house of God first. It's not out there. He desires a pure church. He desires, right, a holy church. He desires a bride that is making itself ready for the coming of its, what? Its husband, the savior of the world, Jesus, right? The bridegroom. And, uh, and that's what God is focused on around the world, is expanding that family, right? And that's why it says that during even the, these worst of times, the tribulation, that the gospel of the kingdom is going to go continue going out. And so the church that will survive the, the purifying process is the church that is going to be on fire, right? Not with anger, not with a, a, a God, I can't believe how bad things are falling apart type of mentality, but one of anguish, right, for those who are missing God, missing the very answer for their life and for the world and are willing to put themselves out there as agents of love, bold, though, with the truth of God, right? Um, and his message, his glorious goodness, message of, right, of, of walking by grace and, and receiving him. And so we want to, this week, dial in on this idea of face reality, once we kind of recover this idea of embracing truth, now we can face reality. And um, all in the process of, boy, are we going to be ready? And our willingness down deep inside to truly face the re- reality in our own lives as well as in the world around us. And so just to kind of pull that out of these, these passages and break it down a little bit, I just got some couple questions and then a, and then a comment for us this morning. Um, first one is this, why don't humans act to prevent catastrophes they know are going to happen? Why don't humans act to prevent catastrophes they know are going to happen? Now, I got that question out of a recent article out of Wired Magazine, and that was the title of our article dealing with the catastrophe in Miami, the condo that fell and killed all those people tragically. And, uh, and, it, and it went and it referred, it just, first of all, that was the question, but it quickly moved to apply that question. Their whole thing was, we've got to get busy with uh, um, the, the, the result, the reason why that, that uh, hotel fell was because of, of uh, the changing seasons, climate and global warming and everything else, and that we need to wake up and we need to, you know, fix the climate. I'll deal with that in just a minute. But the, they used, behind this, they used a, a Yale and Harvard scientific study. The sociologist, um, behavioral sociologist there came together, did this, sci- this, this, uh, this uh, experiment. I won't bore you with all details, but basically it was bringing this large group of people together and they kind of laid out a scene and they gave these different pods. They called them tribes, actually, and, or no, generations. And they um, you know, set it up where that they could continue to have generate generations grow if they would each set aside some of their own resources for the next generation. And, uh, and you see where it's going. And basically the study just showed that it only took a few people to just wipe out the future generations that were not setting aside, not preparing for the next generations. And uh, I think if I remember right, it, was only, it only actually lasted maybe three generations before the whole thing blew up. And uh, again, their study just confirms what we, we could have told them ahead of time. What the Bible says is that, guess what? We're sinners. Guess what? We, we have a flaw and we need a solution. And Jesus is that solution. Until the heart's changed, nothing's actually changed. Now, <clears throat> swing this back to the climate and everything we just read here. Over and over again, the scripture, the climate, folks, are the creation itself. Romans 8 says it is in turmoil. It's groaning because it's waiting for its renewal, right? Now, when you see in the scripture where it says heaven and earth will pass away, it doesn't mean they're going to be obliterated. It means they're going to be purified because, uh, and we'll get more into this um, in the sense that Jesus is coming back, and heaven is coming, God is coming, the throne of God, and to, again, to unite all things in heaven and on earth together. That's Jesus' primary goal, ultimately, is to unite all things in heaven and earth together, in harmony, make it all right. And, um, <clears throat> and that's his, his overarching goal. So he needs to purify, things need to happen in heaven, and things need to happen on earth. And that's what God has been up to in history is, is bringing all that right to, together. 
And so the, the idea of climate, let, let's just lay it out. All of us can agree, I hope, on some, a few things. First, we can all agree that is there climate change? Absolutely. Is there global warming? Yes, there's all kinds of global warming. Is there catastrophes that happen because of all those? Yes, we can all agree, right, to all those. Can we agree that we should be good stewards of the creation cells? Yes, we all should be able to agree that yes, we need to be good stewards and to be able to steward well this beautiful creation that has been given to us. Now, I think all of that, hopefully we can have, have uh, agreement on, but the next piece is where we disagree. And this is where we need to dive into this issue. The next piece is, is what are we actually capable of doing? The arrogance to think that we can actually control the weather, that we can actually change the earth, that we can actually save the earth is of the utmost arrogance. Never will happen, never has, never will happen again, right? And Jesus has already said it very clearly, like these are the birth pains. Let me tell you, this, this earth itself in Romans 8 and many other places, it is going to, <clears throat> it, it is these, all these things we see happening um, are signs, not just global warming signs or climate change signs, though that's all true for sure, is there's a, something deeper we need to look at. There's a problem with our creation and that problem comes right back to us. And that problem is actually sin and the result of sin in this world that Jesus came, right, to, to ultimately to solve uh, in this. And so uh, when I think it, it comes to facing reality, we have to face the reality of what is the real problem? Right? What is the real problem in, in, this, in this life? And the real problem ultimately is something that only Jesus has solved. The real problem is the power of sin and the power of death. And to face reality, I have to face the power of sin, which is I have to face what is the human tendency? What is my tendency? And I have to face the reality uh, and the consequence and the catastrophe of death itself and decay. Where that we know that that's not natural in the sense we know we, we all long for something more. We all long for a solution to that. Well, what is the solution? And so this, this, this movement of how do we prepare? Well, we have to face reality and look at the real issues, deal ulti- with ultimate issues of truth, of who Jesus is, and ultimately the real issue, right, of what are these birth pains, right? What is going on? What, what is all this? Jesus is saying, watch these things, right? These things are gonna happen, right? Don't get all caught up in, in, in you know, in, in trying to piece it all together. Just realize, in other words, folks, the primary thing we're to say is, wow, the earth is shaking. And how do I respond? Personally, am I ready to meet my maker? That was the ultimate question. And then in turn, because I got to be there before I can truly love others and help get them ready and help reach out to them, right? Out of a sense of, of man, there's a time coming, right? That there is no return. There is a, an ultimate, a ultimate accountability that we all are going to have to face reality, right? As such that is coming um, for this. So that's the first question. Second question is this, a little deeper here. Why are people unwilling to face God? Well, why are we unwilling to face the reality of God? Um, what's, keeping, what's keeping when we, we can see everything that's going on and, and even back to the, the previous statement, why are we unwilling to take action to prevent something I mean, just look in our own lives is, and we all have dealt either personally with this or with others in our lives. Let's just take addiction. We see a person. We see what they're doing. We know how it's gonna end. That addiction never ends well. It moves to catastrophe to catastrophe unless there's breakthrough, right? Unless there's deliverance. We step on the outside and say, whoa, you know, take action, take responsibility, do, right, let's bring healing, let's walk on, let's, let's get this, otherwise we know what's coming, right? And let's just take this in anything in our life, is we've all done this in one way or another, is we have not, right, um, for whatever reason, as, as the uh, study says, is we see something coming, but we continue to do certain things, we don't take action to prevent that from coming. And let's just take death, right? What, what we know it's coming, we don't know when, but are we, have we prepared for death? Have we prepared our soul for that process of when death is going to come and we're going to stand before right, our maker? Have, have we taken that kind of, of view of things? And folks, I, I would just say it's a deficit in our discipleship in the church. We've not prepared people to die well. 
We haven't prepared it with this deep level of a question. Why are people, and I say all people here, even people who claim to be Christians, why in each of our lives is why are we unwilling to face God? Now, let's just drill it down. Is, is every one of us, in one way or another, we have done something in life and we've just gotten into a season. And maybe this last year, we know this last year, a third of people haven't returned to church. Guess what? They're running from God. They're escaping something. And in each of our lives, we've had the same thing. We've, we've run. We've, we've got to escape. I've just got to get out. I've just got to go and, and uh, get away or whatever we, we term that. Well, ultimately, below all that, what it mean, what, what's going on there is ultimately... That is an unwillingness to sit down and face God. To take full responsibility for my life, my actions, and my standing before God and being right with Him and kind of coming exposed before God. Lord, let me, I just lay all this out and, and, and bring myself to the truth of God and make it my authority and take action. We've all, we've all been there. That's the whole course of sanctification, right? Of being holy, of learning how to step in out of a, or an escape thing or and to face God, right? To truly face him. Um, in verse 30, <clears throat> it makes this incredible statement. It says, then will appear in heaven the sign of the Son of Man, and then all the tribes of the earth will mourn. And what, what, what's up? When Jesus returns, it says it'll be like lightning. It's like, don't worry about, hey, he's gonna be out here. He's gonna come there, there. It says it's gonna be like lightning from the east to the west. In other words, you're gonna know. The whole world is gonna know. When the king returns. And, um, and he says, just wait for it. And be ready for it. But he says the tribes, he says the nations will mourn. And this is repeated all in the book of Revelation, many other places in the New Testament. What's going on here? Some of the saddest verses for me are in the book of Revelation where it talks about even in the midst of these times that we just read about, even in the midst of terrible things happening on the earth, people will reject God. They will reject him and not turn to him, and not be willing to face him, not being willing to even entertain his son who came to provide a way, right, for them. And, uh, and folks, that should move us to a place of deep anguish where we intercede, Lord, open, soften hearts, open their eyes, right, remove the blindness, whatever it may be, so they may embrace the truth of Jesus, and they may face reality of, of the course of life, our own, again, our own sin and our own issues, right? Um, how are we going to move through life and be ready to face God, right, with all that? So um, this idea of being prepared is, and I just want to drill down now for, uh, for us, is, boy, um, I think we each individually have to ask, well, are you ready? You don't know when, and the scripture says to die once, then judgment. In other words, None of us right, came into this life. None of us, again, we say this all the time because I think it's important to understand is you had nothing to do with your life. It was given to you as a stewardship. Your DNA, your looks, your family, it was given to you. You couldn't choose it. So why do we as humans think that, oh, now I can do whatever I want to with it, right? It was C.S. Lewis, I think, that said, you know, if, hey, if I don't want God in this life, what makes me think I'm wanting him for eternity? And that's the proof of the passage in Revelation. If I do not want to face God in this life, guess what? I will not have God for all eternity. There's not the exception. People say, oh, well, how could, is God such an unloving God? He, somebody wants in at the end after it's over. And, the, and that's not how it works, folks. Nowhere in scripture, you know, when, some, when it's done, if somebody's rejected God, their heart is seared. In other words, if you don't want him in this life, there's not gonna be this idea in purgatory or somewhere out there that, that somebody's been going, oh God, I, I changed my mind, I want in. No, there's going to be somebody who says, like, like the rich man in Lazarus parable that Jesus told that says, no, I need you to get me, I need some help, I need, some, some, I need you to relieve my pain, I need you to relieve my loneliness and darkness, but I don't want Jesus. And so that's the same thing today. And here's where we've gone wrong with the gospel. We've preached a gospel that's allowed people to come to Jesus to help their need rather than to be their Savior and Lord. Do you see what I'm saying? That needs to sink in is that he's here to do all that. Absolutely. But first and foremost, is he the Lord of my life? We've done church, right? Kind of therapy to say, hey, come. He's going to fix this in your life. He's going to fix that. He's, he's got this for you and all that. And again, all that's true in the context of as Lord and Savior of my life. Do I want him 
in my life, right? That's true salvation. And only the Holy Spirit can bring that about, right, in, in our lives. And I have to personally wrestle with that. Lord, do I want just, am I just asking you for this all the time or do I want you? And do I know you? Am I pursuing you, right? Am I willing to face you when I screw up and when I have tough times and just to be exposed before you? Lord, here's my soul, here's my heart. And, and Lord, show me in your word. Let me, let, me, let me move to a place of repentance. Am I willing to repent? That's ultimately what this is. Am I willing to get right with God and with others, right? And so none of us came into this world with anything, you know, we have nothing to do with it. So I would just kind of lay this out a little deeper would be, we came into this world alone. Uh, When is your first memory of consciousness? Can you go back and remember when, when was the first, when was your earliest memory, memory of, I'm alive. Wow, I'm here. Right? I have a terrible memory, like going backwards, you know, little pieces here and there. But as I start to think about it, well, okay, I kind of got that. But when was your first memory of existence? You're alive. You came into this world alone, and you know what? Every one of us will leave this world alone. Alone. We will face death alone. No one can hold your hand, no one can hold my hand. The question is, has I, have I prepared and do I know the one who is holding my hand? If you know Jesus, he's conquered death. There's nothing to fear. We'll be like Paul, great, right? To live as Christ, die as gain is that death is one where I'm just walking with Jesus. You've conquered this Jesus. He's holding it and he says, no one can snatch us out of his hand, right? That's being prepared, Right, knowing right that 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 death is just it's an upgrade. It's it's moving into right the the next life that God has for us. But this is part of what it means to be willing right, to face God, willing to really face Him. And have you really been willing to take the time to face death? Right, or is there a holding on to this life, and is there not a willingness to put it all out before God? When the tough times come, all that squeezed, and my allegiance is revealed. Do I really love him? Have I really given him my heart and soul, right? Is Jesus really my, my savior and my Lord in this? And so this idea of being prepared, I think, well, we have to really wrestle with this big question. I'm not willing to face God. And in facing reality, that's the ultimate question. Am I willing to face God? And to bring all my questions, all my stuff, but am I willing to come there in a place of stewardship and responsibility, Right, um, and that's what you know. Facing reality is all about is this restoration of responsibility, of taking account, right? Um, because we will stand before God and give an account. No one, you cannot. There's no Romans one makes it very clear. I can't stand before God, but Lord, they look what they did to me. Or look at that. I, I there's no excuses. I'm responsible. I stand before Him, accountable for my actions, what I've done with what I've been given. It's a pure stewardship. We'll get into it in the parable in the next chapter in Matthew, actually, the parable of the talents. What have I done? And folks, today I don't have to tell you that we've all lost every bit of accountability, personal responsibility in our culture today. It's gone. I don't know if it can be restored. And that's just one result of many of rejecting absolute truth and the pursuit of truth and moving into a place that we just don't know what reality is, right? Right? And part of that means, right, is if your truth is your truth, my truth is my truth, then where that flows into is that, well, I, 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 there is no accountability. Authority structures are tore down. The things that God, everything that God has created, beautiful. His structure for family, his structure for society, everything else. He's beautifully created and, and set apart to be holy and beautiful. Every bit down to the core of who we are, our very identity is under full-on attack and deconstruction today. And um, I just, I, I, I give you Romans 1. I, I, I got, he, he does not going to sit around and allow that. No nation has come to where we have on this precipice and lasted without serious consequences. Um, we're, 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 we're in interesting times, folks. But again, judgment begins with the house of God. We've got to get the house ready. Our house, the house of God ready. Right? And a restoration back to his, his word and these things, truth and reality, right? And it begins here with this understanding of, man, am I willing to just face God? Lord, search me. 
Lord, where do you need to restore in me? Final thing is a statement. Hypocrisy, folks, is the result of rejecting truth and not facing reality. I hope you'll hold on to that. Hypocrisy is just that. It's rejecting right truth and it is not facing reality. That's hypocrisy. And interesting, isn't it, in this last uh, few verses of this chapter where it says, who then is the faithful and wise servant whom his master has set over his household to give their food at the proper time? And uh, he says, but if the master comes back and he finds that, these, that his servants are, are beating up one another and then and eating and drinking with drunkards, he, he gives them pretty serious judgment. Now, these are Jesus' words, folks. This is to his people. These are the people who claim to follow him. He assigns them to the place of hypocrites. And we know that still the number one criticism of the church is hypocrisy, right? When the church rejects and lightens sin, lightens holiness, we get hypocrisy. When the church goes light on sin, when the church goes uh, waffles around on the truth of God, you get hypocrisy. You see, we are reaping now in the church the lie of the whole seeker movement. Hey, if we just make things entertaining, if we just soften the message, make it relevant, all right, is we're gonna get more people in the kingdom. That has been one of the biggest lies that, we've, that the church has ever bought. We are reaping the consequence now with the next generations who, uh, who basically are fleeing the church because of the hypocrisy that's a result of going light on scripture. Um, folks, we don't need to sit around and think about how being re- to be relevant. The word of God is the most relevant thing on the face of the earth. We need to be in prayer. God, how can we be used to bring your truth to a hurting, desperate world? God, how can I, how can we be full of your love that we can be in anguish over the state of the world and move out into it with the word of God? That is what we need to be focused on. We've been so sidetracked now for decades in trying to be cute and fancy with all this that we've missed and we, we've moved the church into heavy, and folks, a week doesn't go by, does it? We're not right now with the news coming out with some other hypocritical situation in the church. It's just tragic. The enemy is just, it, it, what's happening, God is purifying his church, and what's being exposed is just where the enemy's been having a heyday. Holiness has been minimized. Hypocrisy has grown, right, today. And so it says, it defines these people. And uh, so just a little context here. And again, I know some of you are going, wait, Steve, there's so much prophecy. What's the abomination, desolation? We'll get into that next week, by the way. That's walking by faith. We'll get more into how we understand revelation itself and some of those detailed, you know, things connecting it all together. Um, But it says here, it says, who's the faithful and wise servant? Um, whose master sets over his household. Technically, when Jesus is speaking this, he's speaking it to, right, to the Pharisees, Sadducees, those who had religious oversight over the people of God. But we know, who are the priests today? Who are the priests today? You. That was God's intention from all the way to the beginning. Is that when he saved the people, back to Acts 2, who's, who are the prophets today? You. That's the fulfillment of Joel chapter 2. That's Acts chapter 2. Right, and First Peter says, "You're the God has done this. He's He's brought all His children into the household of God, that we all might be priests unto God, and a nation, a holy nation." Right, and uh, so this applies just as much to us, right, in the sense of well, we have a servant. Uh, we're going to stand before our Lord. We're His servant, His bond servant. That was what that word means, right? And give an account of our stewardship. And, and so this is, we're to heed all this very personally is in my, what God has given me, have I fed, have I been, especially in these times, have I brought God's food, his truth at the proper time to his people, whoever I minister to, whoever my sphere of responsibility is. And he says, when I come, will I find them faithfully doing that? Even when all these crazy things are happening, will they be faithful to my stewardship of what I gave them to do, which is what? Make disciples, Hold to feed them the truth of God. Build them up with the truth of God, right? And he says when he, he comes, though, if he finds them, and in these two things he defines, he says, the first one is, if I find them beating each other, well, folks, that's what's happening today, right? Look at how much, how much controversy, how much hatred, how much criticism of the church is coming from within or those who used to be in the church and we need to wake up the younger generation and the angst and, and all those who are criticizing the church and realize, whoa, stop, realize you're talking about the bride of Christ. Yeah. 
You're talking about the very family of God that Jesus came to save. Now the church itself, obviously, as I said before, we need to be willing to face reality and deal with our hypocrisy. We need to be, be willing to be open to repentance, right? But what's happening today is a full deconstruction of that, a move away from that, right? And what comes with that is just this, look at what's happening in the news today, just this infighting, this criticism, this hatred, this blaming, this shaming, this, I mean, it goes on and on and on. And the other thing he says, and if I find them also drinking with drunkards, what is that? No, Jesus is just defining is that, you know, I, I, God, I'm just going to dive into the ways of the world. I'm, I'm going to enjoy the world. Is he going to find his, his church not just infighting and criticizing, using that as an excuse not to pursue God or gather with God's people, but also, I'm just going to go out into the world. I'm going to embrace the things of the world. And he says, what will I find when I return among my people? Right, who are supposed to be this bright, shining light. So just in conclusion, I want to give somewhat of a, a manifesto because I, I think that we, I'm just going to say my, our older generation, we have lit down the younger generation massively in the church. We have a lot to bear on the stuff, the responsibility of what is going on today. And I think what God is doing is, he's, no question he's stirring the pot, no question he's purifying his people, his church. And I think part of this process is, is how do we reconnect the generations? How do we listen to the criticism and restore a place of healthy communication among the generations? And it begins with repentance, folks. The first step uh, uh, and the three-step process here is it begins with facing reality. It begins with a genuine repentance that we have failed the younger generation. We have uh, um, basically uh, lowered uh, the, God's call of holiness. He says in First Peter, right, I'm holy, therefore be holy, church. We have gone soft on certain sins and we've stepped out in public and we have harshly condemned certain sins. And we have not evaluated God's purity inside the church so that we would be holy and that we would pursue that and again, right, stand before God, be willing to face God and that means being willing to face each other, be accountable, right, to the word of God and to stand upon that and we have gone soft on the consequences of sin and personal responsibility and that leads to the second thing which is we gotta change the conversation. First is repentance, right, owning those things and uh, folks, I just, you could take this down, these three things down to an individual family itself. There, there's only one main reason why children of Christian families bolt right from God at some time. It's simply because of hypocrisy. There's only one reason why children of Christian families bolt. The primary reason is hypocrisy. Now there's other reasons, don't get me wrong. But it's because in that house, they did not see genuine repentance, owning of personal sin in the house applied in the fullness of the gospel. They saw two different things. What we said out there, and this is the primary reason why pastor's kids typically bolt, is because what was said on the pulpit wasn't being modeled at home. And that's a huge wake-up call, isn't it? Um, and, you know, so the, the, the second, first is repentance, second is change the conversation. And folks, what we have to get back to is just what I've been saying, harping on here, right, is brace truth, face reality, right, walk by faith. And uh, what I mean by change the conversation is we have got to step out of this very therapeutic coddling, you know, um, affirming of feelings, all these things. There's a place for it, don't get me wrong. But you know what, the, tr the conversation needs to be around truth. Truth, speaking the truth in love. And, and, and working with people, bringing people to the word of God, what his word says. Not what you think, not what I think, what the word of God says. And wrestle with that, with the truth of God. And this is where we are constantly as a church in public and how we speak is we're, we're backpedaling, concerned about how that might come across. Oh, that might offend somebody. We need to be more concerned about offending a holy God. We need to be more concerned about obeying him and making a stand. And this is why he says many will fall away. Why? Because when the pressure goes on, the tendency of us is we'll step back and, and just not want to, as Jesus says, blessed are you when you're reviled for my namesake. Blessed are you. In other words, that's how you're, you're supposed to live. You're supposed to be being reviled for the name of Christ. You're not supposed to be, way to go, Steve. You're so awesome. 
No, Jesus said very clearly, if we are walking in the truth, you will be revived, reviled, and hated for my name. And I can't follow him unless I'm willing to just stand up on his word in the midst of a conversation. Look, I stand with Jesus. His way is better. And this is what his word clearly says on this issue or that issue or whatever it may be. Right? And, and, and again, not separated from love, not separated from the anguish of, man, listen to me. Are you willing to face God? Are you willing to lay your soul out before him? So repentance, change the conversation. Last one is, um, folks, take responsibility. We've got to restore this. We've got to restore responsibility in our age, and it has to begin with the church. And this circles around accountability and responsibility. I can't blame anyone else for my state in life. Surely not God. If I'm blaming someone else, guess what? Underneath, I'm blaming God. I have to take, and I have to realize I stand before God, and it's going to be me accountable for my actions, what I've done, taking responsibility for what's going on in my life. I cannot, and this is where we got to move out of this therapy thing, right? And we have to infuse the, the right, it's truth. Am I going to bow to the truth, or am I going to continue to wallow in my troubles if I wallow here guess what I'm not willing to face God I'm not willing to face responsibility I'm not willing to take responsibility and I don't need to tell you that we are radically in a bad problem a consequence today of rejecting truth and not willing to face um, reality is that no one takes responsibility anymore there's no accountability right it's, it's blame it's entitlement it's all these things but God He's looking at each one of us to stand before him and I have to be responsible to his word. No matter what's going on in my circumstance, this is faith. And we'll talk about it more. Next week is walking by faith, trusting God, right, at his word. So I just give you those three things. It's time for, for the church we, we to, to, to restore. How do we restore the generations? How do we restore this healthy conversation and, and with all these, this pull, this, you know, this progressive idea that I can embrace these things of the world, but I can still follow Jesus? No, you know what? Lovingly, we need to say that's not an option. Jesus, it, it, the word of God is super clear on this. He lists all kinds of things. Matter of fact, greed is involved in that, right? Adultery, drunkenness, homosexuality. You go down the list of things. These people will not inherit the kingdom of God, period. But Paul goes on and says, but some of you Corinthians were that, but you've been washed. You've, you've, you've been cleansed. You, you have been saved, Right? And this is not saying we don't struggle. Uh, uh, we always struggle with a lot of those things. That list is saying I can't embrace those things and say it's okay before God. I have to bring repentance before Him. And I'm, folks, I'm telling you right now, until we get this conversation changed with the younger generation and with probably all generations, we will never restore holiness to His church. We'll never have His blessing. Matter of fact, as Re Revelation says, we'll get into this. He'll remove the lampstand. He'll remove the presence of that church from his presence. And we have waffled on this. Oh, but I mean, think of all the things we hear out there. What do we find? The word of God or we find what culture has to say? The word of God is razor sharp. There isn't a debate of exegesis of, well, the Bible says something different today. No, no, no. No, it's been the same from the very beginning. But you know what? The good news is the same. Christ offers forgiveness for anyone, no matter where, no matter what darkness, no matter where we've gone, is that He's there. His grace is there. And folks, that should be the plea of the churches. And what's the problem is that we've offered the grace message without the consequence part. We've shied away from saying what Jesus says right here. What did, what did Jesus say he'll do to the hypocrite? We just read it this morning. Um, cut them in pieces and assign them. to Those are Jesus' words, folks. That's not some hellfire. You know, somebody leaves their house. Oh, Stevie, is hellfire brimstone. No, no, no. Don't say that. That's Jesus' words, and that's just getting started. He's a holy God, and there is a sense of I have to be responsible because there's an accountability, and I'm not loving anyone if I'm not holding the truth of God. Look, there's a day of reckoning, and you don't know when it's gonna be. Please face God. Face these questions and embrace his love. Embrace his grace. It's available. His arms are open wide. And how did he begin this sermon? He says, Jerusalem, I've longed to gather you. I've longed to, to bring you in. But you were unwilling to face me. 
folks, it, it, there has to be awakening anguish, right, among God's people, right? To love, hold the truth, and love radically. Both of these have to be integrated, right? So, Dan, y'all come on up. and um, Folks, I just want to pray for us before we come to the table and celebrate the, the truth of what our Lord has done for us and, um, and respond. And if in any, uh, let's see if the Spirit has something through that you all have for, uh, for us this morning. Father, Lord, this is your word, God. It's your truth, God. It's strong, God. It's, it's, it's hard. It's, it's, it's overwhelming, God. It's, but Lord, you, we, we've got to restore your truth back to your church, Lord. Back to the Christian life, Lord. Otherwise, we just will continue to develop hypocrisy. And Lord, um, Lord, we, we know you're, you're cleansing your body, Lord, right now. And Father, may we, may, may myself, may we as a church, God, heed that, Lord. For things we need to repent of and lay down, Lord, Holy Spirit, may we, just, we just want to be right with you, God. We want to face you, God, and embrace that cleansing and that, that grace, Lord. Father, help us change the conversation to be more about your word, Lord, than feelings. Your truth, God. Father, finally, I just pray that we'd take responsibility, Lord, as a church, as individuals, followers of you. And Lord, our discipleship, that that's what would happen. We would just learn, teach each other how to do that, Lord. Holy Spirit, move in this time. Lord, speak to us. Convict us. Lord, grow us. Meet us. Comfort us. Encourage us. Thank you for listening to this message. To hear other messages or learn more about Crossroads Church, visit our website at ccaspen.com.